please note that this episode of Bits and Bricks contains instances of misuse of the Lego trademark, which must always be used as an adjective and never a noun. As a reminder, it is never appropriate to refer to the company that designs and produces Lego brand products as Lego. Rather, the correct name for the company overall is the Lego Group. I hope that was severe enough. Was it severe enough? We get... Yeah, that was great, Ben. We got it. All right. On with the show. When the, the team shared with me that very first LEGO Star Wars demo, that's probably the seminal key moment in my career. The hairs on the back of my neck just stood up, and I just knew that we had something remarkable and special. And pretty much everyone wanted to work with us. We used to sit there and go, wouldn't it be great if the excitement, I guess, being able to work with those IPs is is phenomenal. I think TT Games being the solid partner that they've been and the experts in what they do has allowed a lot of folks in our leadership team within the Lego group to really understand the value of gaming. Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things Lego games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of Lego games, chat with early developers as well as seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the Lego Group. All right, Brian, here we are, another episode of Bits and Bricks. And today, it's exciting, we get to talk about something we both love, a game we both love, uh, Lego Star Wars and TT Games. Yeah, TT Games, uh, they, like, I think that there are people out there who maybe think that every game ever made by the Lego group or for the Lego group was essentially a TT game, which isn't true, yeah. but like that's the impact that they've had. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's become kind of synonymous with Lego video games, and it has to do with that early 2005 hit that both you and I played with our sons. Um, it's a huge deal. I remember exactly what that was like to load that up and to get started, and just how cool it was to see the Lego minifig and and all the, you know, Star Wars stuff kind of work hand in hand. It was pretty exciting. Begin the adventure by mastering the Force. Play as over 30 of your favorite characters. As you fly solo or play with your friends. Lego Star Wars the video game. Rated E for everyone. Build your destiny. Let's dive straight into the history here, Brian. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, TT Games and the development towards, you know, Lego Star Wars. And, man, there's a lot to talk about. There is. Uh, yeah. So, as we both have said, TT Games is sort of integral to the history of Lego video games. And to understand that, we really have to look at this big picture and how Star Wars came about. Yeah. Uh, so Lego video games have been around for about 25 years now. Um, the concept of the Lego video game has been around, obviously, even longer. But it wouldn't be too surprising for some people to think that Lego video games actually started a decade later and are the product of this single studio. Hmm. Uh, that, that's the impact, I think, that Lego Star Wars a video game has had on developer TT Games, on the Lego group, and on the, the first Star Wars franchise. And also on so many iconic make-believe worlds and on video games themselves. Uh, it's so profound, I think, that it, it really isn't surprising that on some level it doles almost all other LEGO game creations by its its sheer brilliance. Yeah. While the LEGO group has seen many successes over the past quarter of a century uh, in, in the realm of video games, none, I think, can really compare to the attention and adoration created by LEGO Star Wars and the dozens of games that followed that. 
that creation. And I think, as with most great successes, uh, the success of TT Games and its long line of titles uh, was the result of many things. Uh, timing, wisdom, right. you know, the right approach from the right creators at the right time. I mean, it's it, it all comes together, you know. Yeah. But in some ways, an important part of that success, which was fueled by the tremendous success of that first 2005 LEGO Star Wars game, can be traced back to Tom Stone and some inspiration he found while working on a game at Electronic Arts. The last game that I worked on at Electronic Arts was the first Harry Potter game. Uh, that came into the studio that I was running. And for the first time, we asked young gamers to come in and play the game. We had done very little um, consumer testing or focus group testing. So we had lots of youngsters come into the studio. And I was amazed at how smart, uh, how dexterous, how savvy and intuitive these young gamers were. And I learned a lot from that. I actually thought, you know, there's a whole market here that's just underserved. Most of the kids' games that were being produced at that time, developed and produced at that time, weren't very good. And it just stuck in the back of my brain as I saw these kids playing these games. I just thought this is a really underserved market. I love how Tom Stone talks about these games. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about this idea of this massive underserved market still floating around in the back of his mind. And Tom Stone was then approached by the Lego group, which hired him to work on games for the company. Uh, but when he arrived, he discovered that video games seemed to be more about marketing the company's toys than creating lasting experiences that could stand on their own. And Stone said he spent uh, the next few years building out a new game team, tweaking the company's business model, and reaching out to new developers around the world. Right, Brian? Yeah, um, and, you know, Jonathan Smith, who co-founded Giant Interactive with Tom Stone and would go on to head up production at TT Games said that one of the big directions at the Lego Group at the time he worked there alongside Stone was also trying to sort of decipher what a Lego game could and should be. The question being asked was, what could a new kind of Lego game be? We had some titles uh, in development with external groups, and we started up some more over those couple of years at Lego Interactive, uh, including the second in the Lego creator Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And this was a year when Bionicle was really breaking through as such a great franchise. Uh, Lego company were thinking and working very hard to create experiences and entertainment outside of the core plastic offerings uh, with TV shows and movies. They were working on Galador and launching Galador as a, a true transmedia event that combined toys with TV, with video games. And while the brick building experience in Lego Creator uh, was obviously a core to the meaning of the brand and unique and valuable, Tom was asking the question from a video game's perspective, what else should we be to bring the idea of Lego as an empowering, creative space for children to let their imagination run free to life as a video game, a compelling, relevant, exciting, cool video game for people who played video games, who knew what good video games were, what could that be? And that was the question we were set to answering and did so by drawing upon a very wide breadth of very deep expertise across Lego Company and through some of their academic partners as well. So uh, during those few years, uh, the, the Lego group released a number of really memorable games, mm -hmm. but Stone still felt like none of them were good enough to be the sort of breakthrough hits that he had envisioned. Mm -hmm. um, so, so now we're looking at around 2003, the Lego group starts looking at creating a new game, and they're going to base it on Knight's Kingdom, which is one of the theme sets that they uh, were coming out with. These are sort of the plastic Lego bricks that they would release. Um, um, 
and so they started talking to a group uh, of developers at a studio called Traveler's Tales, uh, according to uh, Smith. Knight's Kingdom was their next uh, big franchise development and launch. So it was very natural being part of LEGO Company at the time that we'd want to try and find a video game experience that could support, reinforce, and grow that franchise. So yes, we were looking for developers to work on a Knight's Kingdom game in parallel with the consideration for what a LEGO video game should be. And we talked to Traveler's Tales initially about a Knight's Kingdom game. We weren't able to talk to Traveler's Tales founder John Burton for this podcast, but I, I did have this sort of great email exchange with him. Yeah. He noted that the main reason the company decided to take on this Knight's Kingdom project was because a previous non-Lego group title at Traveler's Tales, this game called Haven Call of the King, had sold so poorly that the sequel that they had had planned on working on was actually canceled. And the studio found themselves in this position where they needed some sort of game to work on to replace it. Yeah. And Arthur Parsons, now head of design at TT Games, uh, was a designer at Traveler Tales when the initial Knight's Kingdom pitch came in. Uh, the studio was already well known for its work on several outside IPs and family-friendly titles like Toy Story and A Bug's Life, so it seemed like a good match uh, with the LEGO group. Parsons said when Tom Stone and Jonathan Smith were coming to discuss Knight's Kingdom, he was working on the studio's other title, which in general was viewed as the moneymakers of the two. But everyone in the studio was aware of the LEGO Group's early pitches. This was the old office. There was no meeting rooms. It was just open plan, like a barn. Um, you imagine an old English barn in the countryside. So meetings kind of happened openly in front of everybody. Um, I remember seeing strange men come into the building. And um, I remember... The discussion being, it was actually about Knight's Kingdom. I don't know if you remember um, the Knight's Kingdom range. Um, it, it was obviously, you know, people were talking about it. It was exciting because, you know, we, we've all grown up playing with Lego bricks. And, and there, was a, there was a buzz in the air. And that buzz in the air that Arthur Parsons is talking about at Traveler's Tales mm -hmm. on account of those meetings with the Lego group would continue. But Tom Stone noted that working internally on Knight's Kingdom was problematic yeah. because many of the Lego group in 2002 saw video games as a vehicle to sell more Lego bricks, and they didn't see video games as a place of entertainment in their own right. Struggling with this notion that Knight's Kingdom may not be the best way to have a breakout hit, Stone started to become convinced that a specific external franchise might be the best way to go. And so I think in 2003, I said, we need a bigger canvas to write a statement about LEGO games upon. And I mean, it just occurred to me that, you know, if you were a Jedi Knight, and you had control with the force over a pile of Lego bricks, what could you do with that? And that was really the starting point for thinking that Star Wars and Lego would actually make a really good video game. So you have this amazing idea that Tom Stone comes up with, this idea of piecing together Lego games with Traveler's Tales and the Star Wars franchise to make this product that he is convinced will be the breakout hit he's been looking for. Yeah. And so the team is sort of diligently working on this with Traveler's Tales uh, on this kind of early concept. But unfortunately, this is all going on when the rest of the Lego group was struggling. Uh, both Tom Stone and Jonathan Smith uh, tell us that the Lego group was going through some tough times uh, in that period in the early 2000s. And in reaction to that, uh, the company begins to sort of refocus on its core brick experience. And, and so what that means is they start cutting back on investments in things like apparel and like the theme parks and unfortunately also video games. At the time, uh, Smith tells us, Lego Interactive and its video game division was clearly viewed as this sort of peripheral to the core business. Within Lego Interactive, we were clearly a peripheral business to the long-standing Lego company commercial activity of making wonderful products out of plastic in boxes and uh, shipping them out to retailers across the world. So our plan for a 
growth in the portfolio of Lego games for the investments that we'd need to make with multiple different developers to support that ran into conflict with that strategy at that time, uh, which meant that Tom needed to find another way uh, to bring those games to life. So this other way is, you know, seen through the lens of history seems like this caper almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, it, what it means is that Tom Stone has to go out, form a small independent studio on his own, yeah. uh, and with the help of a, a, a partner, a silent partner, and a couple other people at the Lego group. And then he has to convince the Lego group that he and his partners have the money to fund a game that they're going to make. Then he has to win over the rights from the Lego group to make a Lego game. And then he has to convince the Lego group to let him and his partners take the work that they had already done at the Lego group and uh, started at Traveler's Tales and and bring it with them so that Traveler's Tales can continue their work and continue developing the game. They believed the vision we had was the right vision for Lego Company. Tom Stone speaking here. Thank goodness. And, you know, I'll always thank them deeply for believing in us. So one of the things I had to prove to Lego Company was that I had an amount of money that would pay for the development, pay for the marketing, pay for the cost of goods. The Lego team that I was negotiating with were incredibly supportive, fantastic to work with. I never had a moment's hesitation that, you know, once we'd agreed terms, I could then make a start um, and not fearful that they would change their mind or anything else like that. Fortunately, Tom Stone had already won over LucasArts with an early demo that was created while he was still working at Lego Interactive. That demo was a vertical slice of the title that showed off the introduction of Star Wars all in Lego brick form. And it was a demo that encapsulated all of the ideals of what would become the TT Games franchise later on. Stone talked to us about the demo's creation and some of its core ingredients. I spoke with um, the team at Traveler's Tales again and said, it'd be great if we could make a demo of this. So we went up and we gave them the brief as to the sort of game that we were looking for. So we were looking for things like social play, you know, which we felt was really important for these young gamers. We didn't want them to be sitting on their own in their bedrooms, um, just playing these games on their own. We, th we felt that be able, being able to play a game with your brother or sister or, um, you know, with your dad or your mom would, would be a really cool thing to, to have. So that was, in, that was included as part of the brief. We wanted the game to be accessible. So not too intimidating. You know, sometimes when you pick a controller up, and when the first 20 seconds you're either killed or you just find it really too tough, the game's too hard to play. So we wanted, um, we wanted it to be accessible. So that, that was another element. We obviously, because it's a Lego game, we have to have the element of construction and deconstruction. Like, how would deconstruction be if you had a lightsaber slashing it through... Uh, a pile of Lego, you know, or something constructed of Lego, what would that look like? And then there was the the whole imagination piece. So, you know, if you if you had a game that was, you know, you had no creative straitjacket at all, you could have complete freedom to be able to do anything you wanted to, what would that look like? And I think, you know, the opening sequence of Lego Star Wars is when the music plays and the chairs dance on their own. And it was just, it was things like that that, um, the development team got in a heartbeat, and so they created the the demo. And I have to say that to this day, that's probably the seminal key moment in my career when the the team shared with me that very first Lego Star Wars demo. And I, I just, the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up, and I just knew that we had something remarkable and special and then tried to convince the rest of the world that we had something that was um, truly remarkable and special. You know, it's easy to forget when you talk about game development how many people, how many ideas, how many long nights are involved in creating a game. Mm -hmm. um, Burton tells us that much of those core ideas tied to sort of the foundational work of this game and, and in turn sort of all the games that came after it came from people like John Hodgkinson and James Cunliffe and, and Jeremy Pardon. He said he he liked the idea of having this uh, having a lot of different characters in the game, each with their own abilities. 
because it, uh, of something that he he saw and played on an old ZX Spectrum, uh, this old game called Thunderbirds. Uh, and, and so that's where some of that inspiration came from. So anyway, uh, when, once the deal was made and Traveler's Tales uh, were deep into development of the game, Giant Interactive still had one really big issue they had to solve. And that was they needed to find someone who could publish and disseminate their game to retailers around the world. We took a trip to Los Angeles and we met with THQ. We met with Activision and we met with Electronic Arts. We had already previously met with Ubisoft and we'd met with IDOS. Um, I think I think they were the five publishers that we met with. I, re- I then received a phone call from Activision at the time saying, really enjoyed uh, the demo, but we don't think this game's going to succeed, so we're not, we don't want to be your distribution partner. I got a similar phone call from THQ saying, yeah, you know, we think it's like an interesting idea, but we don't think it's that big an idea. So actually, we don't want to be your distribution partner. And then, I, and then because I'd worked for Electronic Arts, I thought, well, they'll be on board. Um, you know, we'd already worked with Electronic Arts on some Lego stuff. I thought they might be on board. Um, they actually turned me down as well. So at this point, I was thinking, ooh, this, this could be interesting. So we've got this game that we were working on, developing it, and we're not going to be able to find a worldwide distribution partner. Anyway, Ubisoft and IDOS um, actually did say, they both said, we really believe in this and we'd love to um, work with you on it. And um, we decided to go with IDOS. Um, part of the reason we went with IDOS, because we they didn't have any other games, and we thought, they will give us all their attention, and we think that's really good for this. Um, I didn't want to be fifth on the list at, let's say, um, an Activision or a, a, another company. I'd, I'd, I'd want to be at the top of their list. This is the most important game that we're going to release in 2005, and that was true for IDOS. That was their most important worldwide game in 2005 um you know we we got attention in japan the game was released out over there um it got an incredibly powerful release in europe and they did a fantastic job in north america so that that's that's how that happened while they were able to find a publisher eventually it was touch and go and for tom stone it was very personal you know yeah. he had invested a lot of his personal funds and even put his house on the line to get the funding for giant interactive And if they couldn't find a publisher, if the game didn't do well, you know, there was a very good chance he would have lost it. But Stone said he kept his spirits up during those dark moments of rejection by going back to watch children test the game as work continued on it. I had young gamers coming into the cottage where we worked, and I just listened to their response, their reaction. They were screaming with delight as they were being able to be these Jedi Knights slicing up um, the droids and anything made of Lego and fighting each other, and they were dropping and dropping out two-player gameplay. And um, I just watched them and thought, this game's going to be successful. I just know it. I could look at look at the reaction of these eight-year-old kids who are playing this game. They absolutely love it. Don't care what adults think. These kids love it. Uh, and that was proven to be true. And I just, I listened to them rather than listen to the adults, if you like. <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that the team at Traveler's Tales and at Giant Interactive and, and even at the Lego Group were all right. And and some of those people who said this wasn't going to succeed were absolutely wrong. Yeah. Uh, Lego Star Wars, the video game, hit in 2005 to an overwhelmingly positive response and it changed the way many viewed not just lego games but family friendly games and movie inspired games and even cooperative games it it took a bit of time though for the success of the game to actually sink in at the studio smith said i mean we were we were very pleased with the initial preview coverage and reviews we were obviously like delighted with the game We, we we you know we felt that was the game that we'd hoped for and um, we were th- thrilled at the prospect of continuing to be able to make more games and make more games with Traveller's Tales as well. Uh, I, I don't think we knew that it was going to go as far as it did or as, or as wide as it did 
that, that would have been pure pure speculation and we had too much work to do to speculate <laughs> to keep things going and to move on from there uh, but yeah i think going in, you know coming out of christmas that year uh, i think we were starting to get sales indications um and from the the, the sales teams that um this was getting traction in the market potentially for the long term and see some of the money also see some of the money come back uh, because there's obviously a lag between the money you invest and then the sales that are taken and the way that gets passed through the chain and um yeah starting to feel it but not thinking about where we would be in 2020 thinking about where we would be in 2006 and how we can get the gamecube version and how we can do more movies in particular the movies that everyone really really wanted to do the original trilogy movies Traveler's Tales founder John Burton said he believes the game made the Lego group, and I'm going to quote this, Brian, achingly cool. They had double-digit growth after we released the first Lego Star Wars game, end of quote. So hearing that, and also combined with the success of the game, eventually led to an offer by Burton to buy Giant Interactive, merging the two together in 2005 into TT Games. It also led to two more LEGO Star Wars titles in quick succession in 2006 and 2007, as well as, Tom Stone notes here, a lot more interest from other companies. Where Tom Stone had to go to LucasArts to pitch the idea of a LEGO Star Wars game and even present a demo, the opposite was true after that first game came out. It was LucasArts who actually came to Tom Stone with Indiana Jones. The new movie was hitting in 2008, and the company wanted a Lego Indiana Jones game to come out alongside it, uh, he said. The, the game, developed essentially at the same time as Lego Batman, became a chance for Traveler's Tales to prove to the world and itself that the popularity of its first three Lego games wasn't driven solely by the Star Wars property, uh, according to, to Smith. Once Lego games start to become a thing, once people go, oh, what are you going to do next? And we're asking the same question, and the teams ask the same question. And at Traveler's Tales, John Burton leading that company is asking the same question. And we're having conversations looking further ahead now as we move from LEGO Star Wars to what are we going to do next? What are we going to do? Where do we go from here? This seems, this seems to be working. Proving that it can work beyond Star Wars is absolutely the next, the next problem to solve. Uh, so the steps beyond that are, can we do that with another Lucas property? And we loved LEGO Indiana Jones. And can we do that with a non-Lucas property as well, perhaps. And that's how we then came to meet with initially DC Comics and then Warner Brothers talking about Lego Batman. So the end of 2007 and 2008 became a seminal period of time for the company. It released Lego Indiana Jones, The Original Adventures, Lego Batman, the video game, which would become one of its all-time bestsellers, and the company was purchased by Warner Brothers. That sale, Smith said, was driven by those early Batman talks. We met DC to talk about Lego Batman, and that went great. We um, progressed quite quickly there to agreement and development on that game. And through that, the connection was made up, because DC were owned by Warner Brothers, to the, uh, to the games group and beyond, to um, back, back up through the Warner Brothers hierarchy and um, the conversations that we had initially from a partnership point of view as we looked to sign the license enabling us to work on a Lego Batman release, a Lego Batman game, uh, was, was so sort of free-flowing and comfortable that it moved very naturally to a, to a bigger partnership and uh, ultimately, yeah, a full acquisition. So from the perspective of Warner Brothers, uh, the TT Games deal was sort of a no-brainer, according to Martin Tremblay, who was president of Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment at the time. Um, we had a chance to speak with him by phone last year. Uh, this is when we were doing some of our archival work. So the recording's not great, uh, but he talks a little bit about the deal. And unfortunately, you'll hear me typing, so ignore that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the, the two guys that I was the most involved with uh, back then was obviously John and Tom. 
those were the two geniuses you know that bring Lego to what it you know what it had became at the time. They've done an amazing job of um, first doing um, per per gamer perspective an ex- excellent job in quality fun. And the thing that was the combination that made it work so much was the non-threatening appearance of using, to do a shooter, to do a platforming, to do a fighting with a sword and kind of not killing anything, but destroying Legos pieces and and stuff like that in a very humoristic uh, way of of doing it. I mean, early on, I I would tell you that the entire game industry when it came out the first one saw that thing as a new trend a new genre at the time the entire tt games they were breaking records you you know number of units that were you know sold out of the first game and 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 uh, very wisely i would say so that uh, warner leaded by back then by uh, kevin sujera had a visionary of who can make something even bigger than within Warner. And they were one of the key pillar of building up Warner Brothers Interactive, by the way. I mean, they were bringing a huge amount of revenue per year and numbers of units. I mean, every single game were selling five, six million units to begin with at the beginning, which was unbelievable and among the, the blockbusters that you can see on core games, because core games were selling, you know, when you were selling six, seven, eight million units, family games were usually trending into 500,000 units to a million and a half units right. per year. But then they broke, you know, the first game just by itself sold 3.5 million units. Boom. And everybody was like, oh my God, what is it? What is it? What is this thing? And, and that's the reason why I'm, I'm telling you from a creative perspective, you know, kind of created a new genre, but also from a publishing perspective. And they found a marketplace that nobody else were in. You know, the movie-based game were, yes, funny, but sometimes violent. You know, you, you, they, they were mimicking perfectly Star Wars. With right. the, the Star Wars thing, where with with well, Lego is so different. You you go with Lego and it's just by looking at it and it became funny uh, and uh, accessible to the entire family without parents, you know, being scared about what it could happen in video games. Which, you know, violence has been always a, an issue in games and overall. Right. So that deal meant uh, an enormous amount to. TT games. Um, It it had such an impact, not just on the games that they could go on to develop, but it could do do a lot of things like, uh, among a number of other things, they could move out of the original original office, which the team referred to as a barn. And and I don't think they were actually exaggerating. I think it may have literally (laughs) been a barn. Uh, And so they were able to move into actual offices in the middle of town. And and obviously that helped a lot with just the way everybody felt about working there, uh, according to Arthur Parsons. I'm almost positive that this was around the time that we moved studios. We started Lego Batman in the old barn. And I remember finishing Lego Batman on floor two. So we moved offices in the interim time. And if you think the old office was <laughs> cold, no facilities, really, no, nothing to write home about. It was characterful. And, you know, I loved it. I, I actually genuinely loved working in the old barn. But we went from that to a huge four-story office. And we had all this space and amazing new desks. And, and wow, this is amazing. So the, the transition to being part of Warner Brothers was amazing because it, it was almost like a rebirth of of the studio um and, and it was it was great all of a sudden we rather than just being a developer that kind of handed stuff off we got to see and experience the power of a company as big as warner brothers that marketing machine the the clout that a huge organization has to be able to sort of take stuff into people's homes and yeah it was it was an exciting time which I guess only got better because, you know, if you think we then very quickly moved into probably what I would consider to be a golden period for for TT, where we hit several home runs back to back. Um, Yeah, we had two or three teams working consecutively 
and um, some really exciting times. You know, I look back fondly at those times with those people and those games, you know, between, I guess, 2008 and, and 2014. I love how he talks about that. And, and Arthur Parsons isn't the only person who refers to those early Weeby days as the golden years. Uh, and no wonder. Uh, over the course of the next half dozen years or so, TT Games released nearly 20 games based on the world's most popular franchises. Yeah. A game design approach that started life with Star Wars soon included a library of titles that encompassed, you know, Harry Potter, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right. uh, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, Rock Band, Indiana Jones, and of course, DC. And Parsons called those years phenomenal. Yeah, the fact that, that Lego Star Wars was released and, and, and did so well, and only obviously continues to even to this day. And then Indy came out and Lego Indiana Jones did great. And Lego Batman like came out and then probably had a quiet six months and then suddenly was just selling. And we were getting bundled with consoles and we were getting like rapid in those twin game packs and everything. And it was like, this was like, this was like prime time. And, and, and pretty much everyone wanted to work with us. So that was then when you're scratching around going, well, what would make a great game? And obviously we had a, amazing relationship with Warner Brothers, but also with Disney and with Lucas. And it's almost that time where you go, we, we used to sit there and go, wouldn't it be great if, and I, I, I have to say, like, I had my dreams because I was a massive Harry Potter fan. And I was sat there uh, talking yeah, to my boss, just going, can we please make Lego Harry Potter? Can we please make Lego Harry Potter? Please, can we make Lego Harry Potter? Um, and there was a bit of a, you know, one of the things that, that you may or may not have heard, depending on who you've talked to, there's obviously a bit of a challenge when you're trying to synergize the world's biggest toy company in the Lego group. And you're trying to synergize that with trying to make the best video games for a very specific market. Really, you want your game and your toys to align in a perfect storm. Because we had three teams we got a decent amount of development time on every game um, to really push ourselves. And I think that's why that period's great because I think we'd honed our art at that point. Um, yeah, there's lots of things we did in terms of trickery to make the games feel new and fresh and exciting, but obviously make best use of, um, of, of the, the, the tools and the mechanics and the assets that we had. Um, and the team, you know, at the time, everyone was just so bought into the excitement, I guess. Um, and some people might take it for granted now, but you can never take it for granted. Being able to work with those IPs is, is phenomenal. So, yeah, one of the interesting things here is, too, Brian, you know, Jonathan Smith, he doesn't really like the idea of, you know, splitting the history of TT Games into these eras and, you know, particularly mention of a, of a golden era. I cannot use the phrase the golden years um, because uh, we're, we're still there. We're still lucky and, and privileged and proud to, to have this gift of making Lego games. You know, the golden years suggests a time that is past. That, those first years of uh, Lego Star Wars uh, were as, as beautiful as anyone a beautiful time as anyone could wish to have but the time all the time since then uh has been blessed with this gift and yes that time that you reference 2008 lego indie lego batman 2009 2010 harry potter lord of the rings and then of course you know, importantly lego marvel as as well taking um i think what what we were able to do in terms of reaching a really mass mass audience with the world's favorite, most exciting, most dynamic, coolest characters at exactly the right time, at a time in the video games industry cycle where we could be on all platforms and everywhere, that, um, that definitely made a mark. Uh, but, but for you know, so many of us who are, who are still at TT 15 years later, um, you know, this, is a, this is a continuum. 
Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga. Lego Indiana Jones, The Original Adventures. Lego Batman, The Video Game. Lego Pirates of the Caribbean. Lego Harry Potter. Lego The Lord of the Rings. Lego Group's Daryl Kelly worked with TT Games from 2008's Lego Batman through to Lego City Undercover in 2013. As a development manager on the Lego Group side, he helped to make sure the design of the video games lined up with the actual physical toys that the Lego Group was making. He also had a chance to see firsthand how the studio evolved over the years. You know, the great thing of working with with Tom and Jonathan and Laws and that team is they always tried to push. They tried to push us a little bit, you know, to kind of get us to a position of maybe out of our comfort zone a little bit, but also keeping, you know, in stride with the times of how games, video games were being developed and how they were progressing. So you could see how those needs and wants and desires from them, how we needed to apply those internally with our with our teams to get them to understand it's not just about putting you know, Lego brick into a box and packaging it. It's not the same. It's not the same process. It, it takes a little bit more kind of thinking. It takes a little bit more of out-of-the-box thinking, I should say. So it really, that relationship over time and getting the teams to kind of work together was something we had to fine-tune. But I think we did get there. And it was always a, a kind of a natural learning process with each individual team. I mean, you would imagine within the Lego group. So if we, they have not worked on a game with TT Games before, then it's a whole learn, new learning experience for them. You're almost resetting. You're trying to explain to them how we work, how it works, how the video game business works, etc. So there was always kind of this you know, series of laying out the plans and being very coordinated with our process, having regular check-in and meetings so they could see the development, see the progression um, of their you know, theme that they're ultimately responsible for within PMD and seeing how that is being interpreted in the digital, you know, environment. So there was always a learning, um, always a, you know, a lot of sharing, but I definitely felt that we fine-tuned that process to make it very more streamlined in terms of being able to develop a game or two games or sometimes even three games technically within a, a singular year. Um, which is pretty amazing, I think, in terms of when you think about game development nowadays and, and some of these AAA titles are, are years in development. Uh, th- that's interesting. I'm sure you, you've spent a lot of time, you and your team have spent a lot of time working with TT Games. And in that process, you must have gotten a good sense of what makes for a good Lego game. So w- what was your sort of takeaway on that? What do you think is a good Lego game? I mean, one, there was a point of just general gameplay. You know, we would comment on, you know, if something didn't make sense or if a certain way a puzzle or or something just didn't, you know, kind of feel correct or was too difficult or there was a a bug or a QA issue. Those are all the types of things that we would comment on. But beyond that, we would also look at the way that obviously the Lego brand was represented. If we saw something that was not correct or was not accurate or you know, maybe, you know, kind of pushed a little bit too far in terms of the way the Lego brand was represented, we would ask, obviously, for that to be changed. Obviously, TT Games would do that very respectfully, um, but there could be situations where they would push um, or, you know, have something in there that maybe was just a little bit, you know, sensitive or we felt that wasn't appropriate. And we, you know, based on our our audiences and, and our, you know, values for children, so we would, you know, potentially have something like that moved. So, Gerald, um, did you feel like uh, when you found it, um, you know, when the game was fun, because you talked about the importance of fun, just being a fun kind of play experience, a, a Lego play experience that's, you know, fun digitally, um, was there sometimes this kind of contrast with some of the Lego rules or Lego safety precautions or things like that? Were, you know, were there ever those kinds of push and pull uh, moments between, you know, you and TT Games, um, you know, where things were gelling and it was fun to play, but, but you know, it it wasn't maybe what the Lego group had wanted? (laughs) I would say so, yes. I I remember looking at a a couple builds um, where some, you know, kind of maybe some, you know, bonus levels or or situations were actually created that, you know, went too far. Um, (laughs) I remember one specific example within the Lego City undercover development. Uh, We had talked about, a bonus activity or just an unlock um, where you could actually have the citizens of Lego City undercover become zombies. <laughs> and they wouldn't nice. eat you, but they would just walk around and look like zombies. And it was yeah. it was 
hysterical um, and amazing <laughs> to see. Um, but yes, there was some concern about, you know, is that just going a little too far? Is that going to scare children? Um, even though, you know, we would have like a zombie and, you know, one of our Lego minifigure blind packs or things of that nature, but bringing a whole city to life of zombies, maybe it was too far. Yeah. So, but amazing. I mean, the, the ideas that TT games would come up with for these types of, you know, kind of you know, unlocks or side missions were, were never short of fun. That's for sure. We're still living in this story that started back in the early 2000s. This is Jonathan Smith speaking. We're still incredibly invested in the future of LEGO games. We have hundreds of people working incredibly hard right now to write the next chapter of that story with LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And to look back and sort of segment that or to, or to pick favorites within so many different and diverse achievements of so many different people uh, it is invidious. I suppose there was a period early on where we were making games on GameCube and Game Boy Advance and PlayStation 2, just at the dawn of 360. There was definitely a swell commercially with Wii. Uh, we were putting Lego games onto mobile, PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 and 360, and then Xbox One as well with Harry Potter and, uh, and Lego Marvel. Then we moved into phases where we were trying uh, remarkable things with dimensions and worlds and still telling new stories and bringing IP characters to life in new ways and with, with new features in all the games that followed. So I, I cannot pick it apart into golden age and silver age or this time or this time was the favorite we're still in that story and um incredibly lucky to be so there are people i think even from the beginning but more so now who sometimes look at your games and say that they've become formulaic uh what is your take on that do you feel like there's any truth any validity to that i totally recognize and actually we, we we would all recognize that there are points of commonality across many of the games. I think we, we wince at the suggestion that there is a formula and that there was ever a point where any of these games was made without imagination or spirit um, or a desire to do something new and to innovate or to take the games forward. Everyone at Travis Tales, everyone at TT Games uh, like wants to make exciting, interesting new work wants to bring players and, and purchases something new and relevant and exciting. And that is how they spend their time. And that's what gets us all up in the morning. So uh, yes, proudly and, 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 and honestly and wholeheartedly, we, we learn from what we've done. We try to apply it um, or move away from it mindfully. And uh, we'll keep on doing that and keep on striking out in new directions but learning from what we've done in the past. I would say since 2007, 2008, I think. Here, Arthur Parsons again, also pushing back against that same notion. As we transitioned into that very first time two games came close together, Lego Indiana Jones and Lego Batman, there was mentions of, uh, or mentions or, or thoughts of there being a Lego formula. There is a formula, but we, we like to think of it as a DNA. There's a Lego DNA. We like to tick certain boxes, you know. Do we do the IP justice? Are we, like, are we treating this IP with the most respect we can? Are we getting the most from the IP? Is the game funny? Is the game enjoyable? Is it entertainment? Is the game going to resonate with the audience we want, which is generally, you know, 6 to 12-year-old boys and girls with a sort of secondary tertiary audience, like, surpassing that? Does the game warrant people spending money? Is this a great experience? You know, can people sit on a couch and enjoy this? Are they going to talk about this in, in the future? There is also a Lego formula. Of course there is, because guess what? There's a world. There's a Lego minifigure being brought to life. There's jokes. There's humor. Now, we like to think of it as DNA. Some people do and have many times over the years accused, or accused is the wrong word, laid, I guess, some thoughts as to, um, there's a Lego formula or 
Do you know what? If if making games was as easy as a formula or a tombola machine or a lever where you could just output something, it wouldn't be as hard as it is. And it wouldn't be as rewarding as it is. Um, and I think, you know, to really appreciate like how hard it is to make a game, you have to make a game. And of the hundreds of people I work with now and the hundreds of people I've worked with in the past, they all know just how hard you have to work and just how much in you know passion, enthusiasm, how much you have to give up to make a game. You know, we, we all love it. It's the greatest job on the planet, but it's hard work. And for that to be dismissed as just it's a, there's a Lego formula, I, I, I don't agree with that at all. You know, we've made a lot of Lego games and I get that some people might think there's a formula. There really isn't. The formula is work really, really hard to make the best game you can to really bring that IP to life in a way that's never been done before. And that's it. End of chat. Put a game in a box. Make sure people enjoy it. Some at the LEGO Group working with TT Games did start to have some concerns about halfway through the last decade. Philip James, who is now the director of core games at the LEGO Group's games team, spent the past six years working alongside the talented team at TT Games. We spoke with him a bit about the studio's evolution and its many eras. You know, whether it was the beginning of the end of the golden age or whether the industry moved on and consumers' kind of desires move on, I think, you know, it's easy to look at what was happening externally in the games industry at that time with the the real massive spike in Minecraft's popularity around that time, how that kind of did what those original Lego games did, which is captured the imagination of kids and families. And I think, you know, we always had a desire that that's what we wanted our titles to do. You know, the Lego group is kind of unique in some ways in its position in the in the games industry. I think what we really desire is to to get back to having a game version of what the uh, Lego physical bricks do. And I think, you know, that those early titles did do that. And I think over that time period, we were seeing titles that were coming out, you know, probably thick and fast uh, at an incredible rate sometimes uh, in terms of titles. I think up to uh, through sort of 14 and 15, there were points where we were doing three titles a year, might have been with one that was remastered, but, but essentially that's a massive output. Um, and I think there wasn't perhaps enough of an eye on like working out where that kind of style of gameplay needed to go to, to, to get back to the levels it had been at before. So that desire to expand the breadth of experiences created by TT Games for the LEGO Group kicked off a new era that seemed to be pushing game concepts further than ever before. In 2015, uh, TT Games tried its hand at Toys to Life, releasing the ambitious LEGO Dimensions, which combined the humor and look of the traditional TT Games iconic titles with an unbelievably eclectic mix of characters from wildly different franchises. Yeah. Uh, it was a game that allowed Mr. T to stand next to the Wizard of Oz's Dorothy, Doctor Who shoulder to shoulder with Scooby-Doo. Uh, all said, the game actually featured characters and worlds from an astounding 30 different franchises. Wow, yeah. Just two years later, TT Games released LEGO Worlds, which dropped players into a world made entirely of bricks that could be pulled apart and put back together however the player wanted. Yeah, I mean, it felt like an era of experimentation that introduced these flood of ideas to TT Games' core concept for game design. And at the same time, the studio continued to work on its more typical games, you know, releasing new titles based on Jurassic Park, Marvel's Avengers, Star Wars The Force Awakens, The Incredibles, and more, you know. All of it, though, was leading to what many believe will be TT Games' greatest game to date and a reset of sort within the studio. So uh, there's been this amazing history for TT Games in which they've released dozens of titles and yeah. always seem to be sort of pushing the envelope on what they create. And then we hit 2020. <laughs> yeah. So 2020 is the first year since 2005, since Lego Star Wars The Video Game came out. It's the first year that TT Games won't be releasing a title. Um, and it's something that Jonathan Smith pointed out to us and talked to us a little bit about. 2020 will be the first year since 2005 that we have not released a brand new LEGO game. And that has an incredible power for us. Like, we, we feel that. We feel that physically. That, that changes our year 
materially for those you know, hundreds of people within the studio in particular who, who are used to putting in the, the work of creating and releasing games. We, we felt that lack. And the positive side is that we know that what we're doing there is building up anticipation for the results of what will have been an unprecedented investment and effort that's been made to create what will be our, our biggest and best ever Lego game with Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. The next Lego Star Wars game is Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. It's a game that adapts all nine movies in the Skywalker franchise into one massive experience. Skywalker has become. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga will give players the freedom to play in their Lego Star Wars galaxy across all nine movies from episode one, The Phantom Menace, right up to episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. We are, as we have been before, playing with Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, but we're also, as we haven't been before, playing with completely new characters on the biggest ever stage and giving players an experience of traveling across a Lego Star Wars galaxy in a completely new engine with completely new combat mechanics and force mechanics and camera system and gameplay features and, and collectibles and unlocks and upgrades that um, I think shows how we can build on what we've done in the past, respect many players who are fans of different LEGO games, respect their investment and their appreciation of what we've done in the past, but take it somewhere new as well. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Arthur Parsons says that the new game will set a new bar for TT Games and the titles it will make in the future. Personally, I think that yeah, Lego Star Wars, The Skywalker Saga, is going to mean a new bar. Effectively, it's the flag bearer for a new era of you know, Lego video games. For, for us, definitely a TT Games. And I can't wait. Well, I'm going to have to, but I can't wait for people to hear more about them. But I can't wait for people to be able to play Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga and then anything else we make for the rest of, uh, the rest of our time. Creating a successful approach to churning the ideal of the Lego brick and Lego play into a video game had a significant impact on both gaming and the Lego group, Tom Stone said. The point for me is it made Lego more relevant in the 21st century. It just, it just made Lego more accessible to the youngsters who were playing video games. They wanted, is it possible to have a credible video game interactive entertainment experience based on Lego bricks. Yes, it is. As long as you wrap all of the brand values that Lego possess, you know, the values of construction, deconstruction, imagination, and fun, fun absolutely massively important to the success of those games. Um, that's what makes them accessible. That draws you in because you're laughing all the way through the, well, not all the way through the game, but you know, you're laughing through the game and it's challenging for the young gamers, they love solving those puzzles and then getting the feedback and the payoff as they go through to the next level. So I would say that, you know, 2005 saw the introduction of the first ever video game and it saw Lego companies' fortunes change dramatically, um, leading to Lego Company, I think in 2011, 2012, becoming the world's largest toy company. Um, at the same time as we were selling literally tens of millions of these video games. You can't say with absolute certainty that those two things are connected, but that is one very interesting coincidence. That's, that's all I would say. I think TT Games being the solid partner that they've been and the experts um, in what they do. This is Daryl Kelly talking again. 
has allowed a lot of folks within the Lego, in our leadership team within the Lego group to really understand the value of gaming. Uh, you've seen, especially in this year, um, the growth of, of video games and, and how, you know, it, it's just a great engaging um, part of our lives. Um, so it's, it, it's helped our leadership to understand that Lego and gaming itself and Lego gaming um, has a place within our portfolio. It, it, it brings our experiences to life in a different way outside of you know, the, our normal play patterns um, that we've seen with our box products. So I definitely think that the two you know, kind of working cohesively and in parallel really kind of enrich the, the Lego brand in a way that we, we never could have thought possible. You know, much of what we see there is kind of, rec- I think, recognizing where their strengths are. This is Philip James with the Lego Group speaking. I mean, I think if I if I look at what I hope is, you know, a partnership and a series of games that is is moving forwards and into a much better space is recognizing where a partnership is strong and utilizing those str- the strongest parts of it. And I think that comes back to trying to keep those guys where they do their best work from our point of view and not expecting them to be a partner that can do everything for us. Um, It's not to say that other things that we're doing are more important than the stuff that we've got coming out. I mean, right now, nothing's more important than Skywalker Saga for us. Um, It's just more recognizing where they can be strong, where they can do fantastic work for us and and supporting them in the best way we can with, with, with that. So this episode has been really cool, Brian. As you know, and I know you share the same sentiment here, Lego Star Wars was one of those breakout games for the Lego group that really took Lego video games to that next level. I love the memories I have in playing that game, but I also really love diving into this history, this rich history of this total what-if moment. What if Tom Stone wouldn't have taken you know, this concept further if he would have just um, kind of stepped away from the Lego group at that time and said, well, I tried, we weren't able to create what we wanted to, and um, I'm done here. Right. But in collaboration with the Lego group, and I'm also super grateful for the Lego group saying, yeah, take our IP, do what you need to do. Uh, We've got other problems right now. Uh, See if you can make a game. That sounds great, Tom. And he goes out and he does it, you know, obviously putting a huge amount of risk on the line, you know, personally, financially, and kind of having that vision. And I love that description when he talks about the Jedi Knight and this idea of, you know, breaking things down and rebuilding it, the core kind of Lego DNA when it comes to building and creating and doing that in this setting that is so uh, significant to Lego video games, making it possible. Uh, to me, that's just a real highlight. Um, and I'm super excited about the future of TT Games and, of course, their next release, which I can't wait to play, uh, hopefully again, with with my son. Yeah, th- there is so much about this franchise, uh, about this history. This uh, franchise is even the wrong word. It's a sort of rich history of TT Games and the fact that it, in many ways, uh, by building on the the past of the Lego Group's investment in gaming and by taking with it all of that time developing a strategy and trying to analyze what it means to be a Lego game and then allowing it to sort of exist outside the grasp of the Lego Group is such an important thing. It's very easy to overlook the impact that the Lego group had on TT Games. Not not only did they essentially allow this this fantastic idea, which had already been sort of incubated and even development had started on it, they allowed it to leave uh, as part of this deal that was made. Uh, and, and they created, I guess, a contract that would have given the rights to Tom Stone and his group to make all the Lego games for the foreseeable future. Uh, that's all incredibly important. But I think what's also important is that the Lego group continued to be 
an important integral part of that development. They certainly weren't, you know, the developers, they weren't the day-to-day people, but they were there as stewards of their brand. And I think as as we begin to see things start to shift to perhaps a, a more formulaic approach, it is the Lego group that comes in and is pushing TT Games out of its comfort zone and pushing them to try new and unusual things. So TT Games on its own, I think, would have been doing great and making these amazing titles and always doing these iterative improvements on their franchise. But it's a Lego group that sort of lights the fire that gets them to do things like Lego Dimensions and Lego Worlds. And while those games weren't the biggest successes, I think that's the sort of stuff that needs to happen in a studio for it to continue to grow. And, you know, ultimately what you're left with is a set of games, a sort of library of titles created in collaboration with the Lego Group and TT Games that are in many ways, at least the way I view them, as sort of memory makers. I, like, as you mentioned, Ethan, I have such fond memories of playing through these movies with my son as he grew up. Uh, the, the very first introduction my son had to Star Wars and to Indiana Jones wasn't through the movies or TV shows or cartoons or toys. It was through the Lego video games. And that's what got him interested in the movies and interested in those imaginary worlds. And that those memories will always be tied to the experience he had with me, you know, laughing and giggling our way through these games is something that can can never be overstated. What we're left with is a company that has reimagined a way for franchises and, and imaginary worlds to come to life in a way that that families can experience them together and will and, and create these sort of lasting memories. And I think that we're going to continue to see that. I think that while things have shifted a little bit for the Lego group and for TT Games, uh, the future is going to extend for quite a while for the creations made by TT Games. And, you know, I look forward to the sort of titles that they continue to focus on. If for no other reason, then there are so few experiences out there that can be deeply appreciated by a parent and their child. Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Our producer is Ronnie Scherer. Your hosts are Brian Crescente and Ethan Vincent. Episode producing and editing by Ethan Vincent. Writing by Brian Crescente. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Original music by Peter Primer, Foundermusic.com, and Henrik Lidstrand from the award-winning game Lego Builder's Journey, which you can play on Apple Arcade today. We'd like to thank our participants, Philip James, Daryl Kelly, Arthur Parsons, Tom Stone, Jonathan Smith, and Martin Tremblay. We'd also like to acknowledge the entire LEGO Games team, as well as the great folks at the LEGO Idea House for their support. For questions or comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. <laughs>